morning, everyone. Thank you to the worship team. Who am I that you should care for me? Who are we, Who are we that he should care for us? Isn't that just wonderful? Um, before I start, just want to um, welcome Pastor Murray Gordon and his wife Sandra, um, who are with us this morning from Rumataka Baptist. Murray has spent the last few weeks and is still on, his, on some sabbatical leave, so I hope it's going really well for you, Murray, and welcome to you both. Yeah. I'd just also like to mention that Steve and Denise Randall, where are they? This is their last Sunday before you head to Europe for six weeks. Yeah, may you have a wonderful trip, and may you find God at each um, port of call as well, okay? Um, and also just want to mention Blake here, who, there he is, who we prayed for some weeks ago about the operation he's about to have. I don't know if you heard the story that he actually, um, he, he didn't have the operation. In fact, he, he barely made it. He, they took the anesthetic and he had a reaction to it and uh, actually nearly lost him. But they have found what the cause of it was and you're going in for some more specialist appointments this week, aren't you, Blake, to get it right, aren't you? Cool. Um, just like to say, start off, that I haven't got a dirty great downpipe to, um, to work with today at all. Um, <laughs> But I did want to say, it was so, it was what Trevor did in working the blockages, um, I hope you've continued to do that. And um, yeah, if you've had breakthroughs and that sort of thing, please let us know, because we love to hear the testimony of, of release in your life and that sort of thing. Um, and I also just wanted to mention that 45 or 50 of us met yesterday morning um, for the men's breakfast. And it was a really good time. We had three speakers, Keith, Frank Williams, and um, Tony Hills. Keith just shared with his work about drug arm, but had a neat story about one of the people that did come to, to the show, or to um, their caravan where they did the stuff was a guy who was living on the street and felt he didn't deserve, because of the life he'd lived, to live anywhere else, um, that this was his lot. And uh, they, Keith was able to pray for him. He had headaches that went away straight away. And he lived in town, and now he's, he's given his heart to the Lord and um, belonging to a church in town. So that was a, a neat story, isn't it? Yeah, cool. Um, Frank Williams, as we know, has just got a job, but he spoke about his journey of five years since he was made redundant and that he had decided that he would have an attitude of gratitude all the way through. And, uh, and he has, and we know that, as you know, in that times, there's been the highs and the lows of it, but, uh, yeah, that guy is just fizzing in God at the moment, and it's awesome. And also Tony spoke about... Uh, how his new job has now given him the opportunity to get back into fellowship with us, that uh, it's taken him out, he hasn't been here on Sundays and late nights, took him out of his, his group and that sort of thing, so it was. And, uh, and just, I love seeing men worship, it's just, hear them singing, it's just great. So um, to the team that are running the men's thing, I just applaud you, I feel that uh, yesterday was a great day and it's going really well, that's cool. Um, but I have come today to talk about obedience, and the scripture I want to use from that, please, Luke, is from Hebrews 5, 7 to 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, became the, eternal, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So I just want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at obedience, firstly from the perspective of Jesus, and then what we can learn from him as our example. Because he is. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So perhaps I should start with a definition of obedience. We're going to talk about obedience. Good old Wikipedia. Obedience. In human behavior is a form of social influence in which a person yields to explicit instructions or orders from an authority figure. It is subjection to the will of another. It's generally distinguished from compliance, which is behavior that's influenced by peers, and it's also distinguished from conformity, which is behavior intended to match that of what the majority are doing. doing. Subjection to the will of another, saying, I will follow and do what you want. Well, we know that Jesus was pretty clear on it, wasn't it? It wasn't he. Um, John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 4.34, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the will of the Father for Jesus was he come to earth as a fully human being, live a life that was entirely obedient to the Father, submitting and yielding in every situation to the wishes of his Father. And that was so he could achieve the Father's goal, which was that a human being without blemish or defect could fulfill the requirements of the Father's laws and die on a cross. If that could be achieved, then all humanity would have the opportunity to enjoy friendship with God. And this was crucial If Jesus were to go to to Calvary with sin on his soul, the game was over. It couldn't happen. It was lost. So while Jesus' intent on how he wanted to live was clear, the process of doing it, of living it, wasn't quite so easy. The verse says, he learned obedience. Learned it. What does that mean? What it doesn't mean is that he moved from being disobedient to being obedient because he was never disobedient. What it does mean is he moved from being untested in his obedience to tested and proven. And for Jesus, this ultimately meant saying to the Father, here, take my life, literally. And as we see, living this way wasn't easy for him. The text says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, which indicates really that the battle to remain obedient was a daily one for him, just as it is for us. We do know that as well as the daily battle, he endured some really major tests. At the start of his ministry, 40 days was Satan in the desert. And at the end of the days, the time in Gethsemane and the journey to his death by crucifixion. So it says he learned obedience from untested to tested. Well, how was that? Well, really, it was done experimentally. That is, day by day, situation by situation, as he came across in life. Everything he met, he put through an obedience to the Father filter and responded accordingly. How easy was that for him? He was tempted in every way. Each one would need to be dealt with. How do you find temptations? Easy? They're not, are they? 
And the text also says he learned obedience from the things he suffered. That means that making the right response caused him pain at times, or probably quite a lot. And we can get a wee bit of a glimpse from this from his public life, if we look at it, that he faced every day, most days, hostility from the Pharisees. They hated him. They despised him. They challenged him. They never saw the goodness in anything he was trying to do. They abused him. They ridiculed him. They seized him and dragged him to the top of a cliff to throw him off before that miracle happened that he um, was able to walk through the middle of them. But I imagine they just grabbed him and scrubbed him off up the hill. I don't imagine that was fun at all. Um, Also, other times they tried to seize him and he slipped away and hid. Um, They called him a glutton, a drunkard, told him he was in cahoots with Satan. And he had to take it all and respond appropriately according to the Father's will. What about the temptation for him of adulation? It's said, no one's speaking like this man. This wisdom, where does he get it from? What is it? How is it he's so good? Jesus, you are so, I so admire you. Where are you speaking tomorrow? When is your book coming out? Where are all the CDs? Like, you are the man. Your teaching is so great. Or, gosh, Jesus, it was just so wonderful that you healed that woman that had been stooped over for all those years. When I see her now, it just brings tears to my eyes. Or, um, you know, that woman who was bleeding for 12 years and now she's whole. It just, you know, you're, you're great. You're just fantastic. Or, how do you speak to the Pharisees like that, Jesus? How do you do it? You're so fearless. I mean, they scare the daylights out of me. They know everything. But you, you, you're so courageous, man. You're, you're good. You're just so good. You know, you're, you're the man. You're just great. Um, or Peter saying, Jesus, no, um, no, you don't go to the cross. This shouldn't happen to you. you, know, you no, it's not right. And so he had to rebuke him there. The, in John, it talks about wanting to make him king by force. And later on is also the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He must have struggled with the temptation of adulation. I, you know, I do. I mean, in a small way, somebody tells me I've done something well and all that. Well, you know, I sort of go away to myself in the corner and think, oh, it was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, but he never did. Yeah. He faced futility. How many times in the Bible does it say, O ye of little, he was saying, O ye of little faith? O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Um, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't understand? We still don't know who I am? He walked for three years with a guy who was ultimately going to turn him in. Judas was going to turn him in at some point. And Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows. So clearly it wasn't an easy road for him. So during the days of his life, not just a night or a day, but during all the days of his humanity, he was wrestling, praying, crying out. And it wasn't brief, it was a lifetime of warfare against sin. To that, we mustn't forget the 40 days in the desert being tempted by Satan. And the gospel doesn't say much about that, but he didn't eat or drink, you know, but, and he was a man like us. It must have been incredibly intense. We're more familiar with the intensity of his struggle when he got to Gethsemane and started to take the weight of what his father wanted him to do and to see the things of the sweat of blood, uh, sweating with blood, um, asking for him to be relieved uh, of what was coming um, and finally saying, well, it's yours, Father. I give it to you. I give you my life. I give it all. And finally, 
from that point, will it happen to him as shown so graphically by Mel Gibson in The Passion of the Christ? And then right at the end of that, where he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very God that he had, um, whose will he had followed to the letter all his life. He moved from being untested to tested and proven. You could say perhaps he moved from obeying with perhaps a little bit of suffering to obeying through unspeakable suffering. And he did it willingly. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Doesn't that fill you with gratitude? Doesn't it? Doesn't it bring you to worship? Who am I, Lord, that you would care for me? The treasure of heaven crucified. That's the, that's the cost for our sake. I mean, say to yourself, he did that because he cared about me. Say it to yourself. He did it because he wants to knock about with you in heaven. He wants to knock about with you in heaven. He wants us to be there. He did it all for us. He's shown us the way. So there is the example of Jesus. Piece of cake? Yeah. Wonderful Lord and Saviour who came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay. To show the way. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the, mark, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Okay, so what does obedience look like for us? I actually wonder if it's actually quite an uncomfortable word for us. Is it because when we were growing up, the only time we heard about obedience was when someone was actually being disobedient, which had with it negative consequences? So it's just a negative thing in our lives that it has. Does the word obedience suggest to us a degree of commitment that perhaps we're not attaining? Or does it imply an ought or a should or a could or I must, things that I must perform or else I miss out? Or God won't bless me unless I complete this or that? Does it bring a nagging guilt or shame? It sort of reminds me of an area where I'm stuck. As Trevor said last week, have I got a blockage of some sort? And the word obedience just runs me up against that. Does it cause me to think of compromises perhaps I've made with aspects of God's grace that I've been a bit loose and free with? If I dwell on it, do I find myself getting dragged down into self-judgment and condemnation? Does it just mean I have to try harder? Does it mean I'm going to have to suffer? Does it just mean a whole lot of don'ts? You know, we see in the epistles, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, Every form of malice, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, gossip, arrogance and disorder. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Well, I'd like to suggest that obedience to God can and will have a positive outcome. That it will lead you into the truth and the truth will set you free. That as your mind is transformed by being renewed, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Or James 1.25, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this 
not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Hebrews 11.6, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. The fruits of the Spirit are available, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That like Jesus, the call to obedience for us is a call to a richer life. And for us, for us, this is in Christ, is to a better quality of life, freed from negative traits, which cause us to come down on ourselves. And it's a process of renewal. It's the journey of putting off the old life and putting on the new. It has results. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll experience personal victory if you follow his will. Obedience leads to supernatural peace and joy in more and more circumstances. Spiritual growth and maturity comes when we continue to walk with God, even in the midst of suffering. Many of you will be familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boom and the SS guard she met from the concentration, who had been over here in the concentration camp where she and her sister had been, and her sister had died in the cruel conditions. And... Uh, the SS person turned up at the church where she was just preaching, and uh, he came. To, he came. To, uh, that was after the war, and he came up to her and he said, um, "How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think, as you say, that he's washed my sins away." And he thrust his hand out so she would shake it. She couldn't accept the hand, and she, because angry and vengeful thoughts were just surging through her. She prayed desperately to God to forgive, her these, to forgive her these thoughts as well as to forgive the man. She said, Lord, I can't forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And then she says, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while my, into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not in our forgiveness anymore, than in our goodness that the, world he, that the world's healing hinges, but on his, God's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the, with the command, to love himself. Isn't that an amazing story? Incredible. That because she was obedient, she had the joy of that. She, and the, the breakthrough that it was, it was just a fantastic. We look at it and think, yeah, I'd love that to happen to me. Um, how easy would it have been to say, nah, too hard, no. Nah. That's, that's too much. Okay? But she had this incredible breakthrough. The Bible has many blessings, many blessings of obedience. How would it have been being Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego um, saying, no, we're not bowing, bowing down to the, to the, to the um, idol, getting thrown, can you imagine getting thrown in a fire and nothing happening to you and being joined by one of the, what does it say, the beings of God is what it called. That must have been amazing. Um, and in Daniel 1.8 it also says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or wine and ended up being healthier because of it. Or even Naaman wasn't uh, one of the Jews who had a chronic skin condition, was told by Elisha to go and bathe themselves seven times in the filthy Jordan River, and, uh, which angered him and he rejected it until his servant applauded him, just obey, go and do it, and he was cured of a skin disease. Or in Acts, Peter and the apostles who had been told not to preach about Jesus went out and did it anyway. 
and what it got for them was a, a flogging, but they went home rejoicing that they had suffered shame and a flogging for his name. Some years ago, I um, was filling a uh, fringe benefit tax return for my employers, and my job was to complete the return and take it to one of the directors who would check it, and then I would sign it and send it off in the mail, along with the check. So I took it to him to look over, and he looked, and he said, said, no, he says, we're not paying that expense. Um, Please amend the return. So I took it, went back, and I did a new return. And as I sat there, I thought, I don't want to sign this because it's not right. And uh, so I sat there churning in my chair for a wee while and I thought, okay, I've, um, I need to go and tell him this. So I went back and uh, sat down in his chair and said, look, I, I really don't want to sign it because I don't think it's right because it's, it's not the correct return. He said, uh, okay. He pulled the thing over, signed it, gave it back to me and went back to work. Apparently it meant nothing to him, but I had the joy of knowing that I had been obedient and you know, it was just a great feeling. Yeah. So what are some useful how-tos perhaps to help us from where we are with our obedience? And I've got some suggestions here which I, I hope will be useful to you. And the first one is to remember that it is a process, that God is patient with us, and he's looking to move us from one degree of glory to another. And the Holy Spirit is committed to us, making us more like Jesus. We're not doing it by ourselves. Perhaps somewhere along the way we need to be honest and face up to the areas where we're struggling. Do we need to humble ourselves and ask for help? Because there is real strength and accountability. One of the hardest things for us to do always is to humble ourselves, either before God or or before others. But how much heartache is caused in people's lives because people are prepared to let things crash rather than ask for help? How many marriages do you hear people say, looking back, actually, this marriage could have been saved if we had been prepared to work at it or prepared to seek help? We may need, another suggestion is, to spend more time with God in prayer. That was Jesus' way. How often in the Gospels he went away to pray, to, to seek sustenance, to be with God, to talk things over with him, to work things through. We may need to find time to spend in the Word. Just want to speak to one thing there is that often a number of times you hear these days is, is um, the why do I have to read, read the word every single day? Why do I have to? Well, the answer is you don't. You don't have to. But what I've tended to find in people who have said that is that they actually don't read the Bible any day. And so they miss out completely on getting the sustenance and the help that it provides. Okay. Um, we do need to be prepared to work on our issues. Um, conflict in life is inevitable, we know that. And in many wa- but in many ways also, conflict is neutral and actually an opportunity for growth if both of the parties are willing to work at it. One thing about things that require obedience from us is that many of the things that come before us are actually quite small. But nevertheless, they're still doing the job of training us and bringing us to greater maturity in Christ. And Song of Solomon 2.15 does say, catch the foxes, um, the little foxes that ruin the vine, that it's worth it in the small things. One aspect of obedience that's actually working through it is that it's actually a different journey for each one of us because we're all different. 
How often is it when someone's moving, when you're driving down the motorway and someone cuts in on you? So some people actually just drop back a couple of lengths and just allow them to go in. For others, road rage. I want to go and get them. You know, it's just it's different for that. Um, some people couldn't care less if you drum, drum your fingers on the table. Others are driven mad by it. The arrogant person at work or the time waster or the greaser-upper to the boss bring different responses to us according to how we're wired. What do you like at receiving correction? Legitimate correction. Do you take it well? I'd just like to say that I don't, I don't find it easy when Jeanette pulls me up on something when it's correct as well. And I find that as I'm sitting there, I don't like being corrected, and as she's doing so, I find a myriad of thoughts going through my head. Regrettably, some of them are looking for an excuse to legitimately get back on parity in the situation. That's not to say she's a nag because she isn't, but um, I'd just like to go on record that I've only once retaliated in 30 years of marriage. Well, maybe that's not true, but I mean, that was... <laughs> but one of the things I want to learn in is to be able to yield in is when someone comes to me with correct correction, sorry if I can say that, was I want to be able to legitimately take it. Um, Recently, I was at a cafe um, that's managed by a Christian I know, and uh, it was a couple of Christians and I were there, and we got there at 20 to 3, and the cafe closed at 3 o'clock, and uh, so we sat down with our, our coffees, and 3 came and went, 10 past 3 uh, came and went, we actually left, and we chatted on, and we finally left at 3.25. As I got back to the car, I thought... I need to go back and apologise for being so cavalier with, with closing time. I mean, yeah, a Christian person and all that. So I went back and said, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, and uh, it wasn't a problem because it was clean to be done and, and uh, we were just going on with that. But one, another one of the standards that I aim to live by or yield to is I don't want to take people for granted. And so that was where I was working with that. You can see it's still very much a work in progress as well. So, in closing, can I encourage you to look on your journey of obedience with a positive outlook, believing that God knows where you are, he knows your circumstances, he knows your difficulties, and he wants to bless you as you diligently work with him. And may he give you specific tools and insights as you purpose to trust him, to yield to him, knowing that your efforts in him will bring you his favour and his reward and may both the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit be on you as you diligently seek him. May he help us become imitators of Christ, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and who lived to do the will of him who sent him and to finish his work. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Again, we realise that we are totally indebted to you for your walk of total obedience. Each one of us can see you looking at us and saying to us, I want you with me in paradise. You've shown us the way, you invite us to walk as you did, and you haven't left it to ourselves. And also you promise us that as we do, we will enjoy the riches of who you are. You do inspire us to do so. Please continue to inspire us. In Jesus' name. Amen.